morning, everyone. It's great to have you here at First Christian Church, and I'm looking forward to spending some time in Scripture with you today. Hello to everybody here in the West, everybody in the East. We're very glad you're with us as well. If you're watching and worshiping with us in Lovington, we're very glad you're with us. And uh, for those who are uh, participating online, welcome everybody. Let's take some time to look at Scripture together. We're going to read and look at Revelation chapter 1 in just a few moments. Revelation is at the very end of the Bible. It's not Revelations, by the way. Sometimes I hear people call Revelations. No, it's called, the book is called Revelation. If you would like to know my name, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and if you're a guest with us, we're very glad you're with us. While you're looking for Revelation chapter 1 this morning, I'd like to um, start with with this. This calendar sits on our counter by our sink. It's a one-page-a-day calendar that is not, so it says April 9th. It doesn't say Tuesday, April 9th. Just every day you flip something over, and we've had it since 1996. That's why it looks like it does, because we've recycled it every year, because it sits right there by the sink. It's known to fall in the water from time to time. Um, It made its way through the dishwasher once, somehow or other. It got sped up by the garbage disposal at one point. So it's, it's seen better days. Uh, a lady from the church gave it to us in 1996. Leslie is in charge of turning the page over every day. Why? Because she remembers to do it. And that's why. So when she's gone away, like many of you may know, that she spent a lot of years on the road traveling with uh, Prison Fellowship and Chuck Colson. And so uh, she would go away for maybe four or five days at a time. And, and um, the kids were little, obviously, at that, at that point in our lives. And it would be uh, on the night before she was ret- would return, there'd be this endeavor to make this Hey kids, let's get the house back in shape. The princess is coming home. Let's be certain we're... Re- well, rather that than the queen mother, right? So the princess is returning home. We've got to get everything right. And I would go and make certain that the calendar was turned to the day she was returning. Except even today, when she goes to visit our daughter in North Carolina, pardon me, in New York, not in North Carolina, but in New York, sometimes I forget. And so I'll be driving to the airport thinking, okay, if I'd done everything ready for her return, it'll occur to me, the calendar. Oh, the all-important calendar. So there'll be this thing that goes through my brain. Don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. You've been there, right? And I'll think, is there a way in which I could sort of just slyly, surreptitiously get her to go? We come in our, through the garage, you come into our laundry room, and you go either to the left of the dining room or to the right into the kitchen. Maybe I can just push her towards the dining room, and I'll sneak into the kitchen and flip it over to the right date. Now, some of you are going, Wayne, why don't you, on the day she leaves, flip it over to the right date immediately? For it? And I'm going, well, that's because you're smarter than I am. You're just... Anyways, we like it because each day it shows Jesus' name uh, as it's presented in Scripture. The calendar is called I Am, 365 calligraphic calligraphic, I don't know how you say that word, renderings of the name of God. And, and um, here, here are some of them, for example. Uh, this is the high and, might, high and lofty one from January 25th, and then there'll be a scripture that goes with that. Or here's March 5th, our shield, a scripture that goes like that. Bishop of our souls, and so forth, the Tower of Salvation. It's very cool, and I've shown this to you today because we're starting a sermon series today uh, that will carry us all the way through to Easter. Like in other years, it's, I'm a brilliant fellow. You know, Easter's leading, I mean, this, we're leading into Easter. This is Lent. Maybe we should look at Jesus a little bit. Doesn't that seem reasonable? Since it's all about him, we should do a little bit of study on Jesus. So throughout this 
portion of the year, every year, we take a look at Jesus. And um, we should know a thing or two about him. And throughout the next seven weeks, we're going to discover some of his names as seen in Scripture. Basically, can we uncover and discover some of his attributes accordingly? Because we know that um, when, when Jesus was born, the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby. This is the Christmas story, obviously. You're going to have a baby, and you're going to give him the name Jesus. That is his name. However, Scripture gives us many additional names, and we're going to look at them, a number of them. We can't do them all. I mean, this guy found 365. So we can't do them all in seven weeks, but we'll see a lot of them. And by the way, each Thursday on the week after the sermon, so each Thursday, like this coming Thursday, uh, we'll be releasing an audio devotion. If you'd like to kind of give some more thought in the middle of the week to what we, you hear on the weekend, you can get that. If you're part of our texting service, it'll come automatically. You can join our texting service by texting the words First Decatur to 24587. Or you could check it out on the church's website. It's an audio, so it's already it, we've gone onto the studio and upstairs and actually created it. So you'll want to be able to listen to it and uh, give some further thought to uh, what we discuss each week previously. So in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at names like Jesus, the Desire of all nations, the Author of our salvation, the Heir of all things, the Shepherd and Overseer of our souls, the Lord of Glory and the King of Kings, things like that. But for today we're going to look at some of the names that are associated with Jesus being named in Scripture the Alpha and Omega. And you go, what is that? The Alpha and Omega. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard that statement before. It's used in hymns, in songs, it's used in stories. But who are we kidding? Unless it's been explained at some point in the past, it sounds like a fraternity or a sorority at a local university. Like, the Alpha and Omega men and the Alpha and Omega women are inviting you to a party at 7 o'clock or 9 o'clock Saturday night. You're all invited. That's lovely, but that's not what's going on when we call Jesus Christ the Alpha and Omega. Let's see if we can uncover a little bit of that, and if you will, reclaim the name from the fraternity or sorority houses at any local university. So to do that, we're gonna, it's going to take a while for me in the next little bit to get to the word Alpha and Omega, okay? So we're going to see if I can get you to understand the story, and then we'll get to figuring out how Alpha and Omega comes into play. So to start, we have to go to a very small island off the coast of Greece. It's the island of Patmos, and the setting is about 25 to 40 years before, I mean 25 to 40 years after Jesus was involved in earthly ministry. So we're right off the coast of Greece, and there's a fellow there by the name of John. This is one of, John's, one of Jesus' disciples. John, we believe, was banished there by the authorities in the increasingly desperate times after Jesus' earthly ministry. There was a lot of anti-Christian persecution, and various leaders of the church were sent to different places, and they were, if you will, stuck there and, and told they had to stay there. And we believe that John was on Patmos writing the book of Revelation as a result of being banished there. And while there, he gets this vision of how things might be and will be, if you will, at the end of time as we know it. And so when you hear of things like Jesus' second coming or Armageddon and so forth, many of those topics come from John's book called Revelation. 
And in the midst of the discussion of what's going to take place and how it's all going to play out and this vision that he gets, John ascribes some titles to Jesus. He speaks of Jesus this way. These are the words of the amen, he says, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And then he goes on to discuss Jesus' message for Christians post-resurrection. But I want you to notice what he does. He says, I'm going to tell you about the words of who? Here, and he, lists, he gives a title to Jesus, the amen and the ruler of God's creation. Now, in other places, can we talk about the creation part first? In other places of scripture, you not only have Jesus named as the ruler of creation, but as actually the creator. In other words, he's there at the very beginning of time. And then we get, so you got Jesus at the beginning of time as the creator, and then the ruler of creation, and then you have him as the amen. So if you could say it this way, as the creator of all things, as the ruler of all things, beginning, middle, end, and as the end and the final word of all things, Jesus Christ is in charge of all things. And if he's in charge of all things, that would imply that he should be in charge of you and me. Our plans, our intentions, our goals, our careers, our families, our finances, our attitudes, our words, our very lives, now and in eternity, should reflect Jesus' leadership within us. Now, I know that as human beings, the scriptures tell us, and this is how we live our lives, that we have free will to choose otherwise. We have the will to say, I don't want Jesus Christ to be in charge of who I am. That's part of God's gracious gift to humanity. The glory of being human, what makes us different from any other part of the created order is that we can choose, if you will, our own destiny, and we can even choose what we're going to do today. We're not just wired to be kind of just automatic robots. We're not, we're not nature that says, okay, the spring is coming, I have to do this. No, we get to make our own choices. But if Jesus is both the creator and the amen of all creation, then I'm saying I want him to be in charge of my life, not only at the end, but also right now. And I'll tell you, this has some understandings for me in two areas. First of all, I'm really thrilled. I'm very thrilled that Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world has taken care of my sin list. That when I get to the final judgment, the final day, when I stand before God, Jesus Christ will have eliminated my sin list from the eternal record through his work on the cross. Now, I'm, I should be the one who, ex, who experiences penalty for the things I've done wrong. Jesus Christ took on my penalty on the cross. That's called, here's very large theological words, substitutionary atonement. Good luck on that, okay? Substitutionary atonement. I suggest that you take that mouthful of theological words and research it this afternoon. That Jesus Christ has saved me and has taken my place for my penalty. He has arranged for my sin to be forgiven. But Jesus' sin-forgiving, saving action is separate from you and me allowing him to be the leader of our lives. See, we've got his saving or his forgiving part of his nature, but then we also have whether or not he's going to lead us. And Christians have typically put it this way. I want Jesus Christ to be my savior. 
forgive me of my sins, and then I also want him to be my Lord. And we don't really know that sort of nomenclature in our day and time. It's not language we use very often, Savior and Lord. Can you think of it this way, that he is my forgiver, he's forgiven me of my sins, and now I choose him to be my Lord. And if I'm going to be a person of integrity, when I accept the saving grace of Jesus Christ, I should also accept the lordship and his leadership in my life. But I'm quite aware that lots of people want the saving business, not so much about the leading business. I want to see, I want you to look with me, Revelation chapter 1, how John puts this together. All right, it's going to be, a, it's this difficult, some difficult language here, but see if you can hang with me. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. I, John, he's writing, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm walking this life with you. I was on the island of Patmos. So there we have him. He's off the coast of Greece in that video you saw. I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of, a God, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. So when scripture speaks of the Sabbath, that's Saturday, the Lord's day is Sunday. We Scripture refers to the Lord's day as Sunday because he rose again, rose from the dead on a Sunday. So that's known as the Lord's day. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And so he's about to write a letter. The letter is describing things that he's seeing, a vision, and he's to send it out to seven different congregations. What does he see? Verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the, a son of man. So he's seeing Jesus Christ post-resurrection. He was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and he had a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And look at his eyes, they could see right through you. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he had seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And so he's got this vision of Jesus Christ, and it's so overwhelming, it's so kind of awe-inspiring and also frightening at the same time that he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He faints. He placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. And then notice what Jesus says. He gives himself some names. He says, I am the first and the last. Catch this. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the key of death and Hades. Pay attention to the language of verse 17. In the midst of this vision, Jesus gives himself some titles. He says, I'm the first and the last. The first being, I was there when creation was first put in place. I was actually the beginning of creation. I am the creator. And then he goes, also, I'm the last. What's that all about? Well, in other words, what Jesus is saying is that he, Jesus, will ascribe, define, and determine the last act of all time. Since he started, he'll also finish. Everything that will ever happen of all that's ever going to take place, all that has taken place when we get to the very last moment, Jesus Christ has the last word. 
Maybe you could think of it this way. I, um, I've chatted with you before about a, um, an event that fascinates me. It's the, it's the story of the Costa Concordia, the, the, the uh, cruise ship that ran aground off the coast of Italy back in 2012. In the past, when we've talked about that, I've chatted with you about the, marvel work, the marvelous work the engineers did in managing to get the ship upright again and how they um, then towed it away, and it's all cut up, it's long gone now. But I've never chatted with you about one of the most fascinating portions of the story, and that is the captain of the ship. He left the ship prematurely. And frankly, friends, that's not supposed to be part of a captain's gig. In any maritime emergency, the captain is supposed to be the last off the ship. A captain's charge and oath states this, that the sea captain holds ultimate responsibility for both his ship and everyone embarked on it. And if there's an emergency of any sort, he will either save them or die trying. I mean, it's it's a tall oath. But the captain of the Concordia did not abide by that. He actually got off the ship quite early, leaving 300 people still on board. 32 of whom whom never made it to to land. As the investigation took place, he was charged with manslaughter and sentenced to 16 years in prison for his unwillingness to be the last man on board, if you will. The last guy, the person with the last word, the, the, the guy with the authority to take on, will take on the last obligation, he failed in his responsibility. But friends, Jesus Christ, the captain of our souls, has already proven himself as completely reliable. He chose to die on the cross as God in the flesh, and consequently we do not need to fear neither for life nor death. As the beginning of all things and as the end of all things, Jesus was before you, He is with you in the middle of life and he will come after you and behind you. Jesus, the amen of all time, has the ultimate authority over all, bringing all who choose to follow him, all who choose to follow him will be brought to eternal safety. You're going, okay, fine. How? Well, well, let me see if I could get you to look at another thing today. Take a look at this photo. It's a photo of the women's class of our congregation uh, from many years ago. It's from the building down on 441 North Church Street. Uh, We left that building in 1996 to move out here. And I've had that photo in my file for some time in light of today's message. I knew it would be coming up and I thought, this is a great photo for me because first of all, I think it's so. I've, I made the decision that it's somewhere in the 1930s. Do you think that seems right looking at what the ladies are wearing in their hats? Does that seem reasonable? 30s, early 40s, perhaps? Um, I don't think it's 50s. Um, what's inter- a couple of things that are interesting to me about the photo. First of all, you've got all the ladies. They're sitting up on the stage area of the church downtown. That's the baptistries in the middle with the curtain there. We still have much of that furniture that you see in front of them. We bring it out from time to time to use it. I get the question, the guy on the left, who's he? One guy in a women's class? That seems rather odd to me. Maybe he's the preacher. I don't know. He's a brave fellow to take on that many ladies at one time, but nonetheless. And there's something else that fascinates me about that photo, and that is the prints of Jesus, the framed prints that are on the sanctuary wall. 
I've got to say we'd find it odd in our present 21st century culture to put those sorts of prints at the front of a church on the sanctuary wall. I think you would know that we, ha we have no idea that Jesus actually looked like that. There wasn't anybody there recording what Jesus looked like in his photography, all right? And I need to say that from my perspective, this is my opinion now, I find that sort of artwork, from my opinion, as too mild and meek from my understanding of Jesus' character and nature. Now, certainly in the weeks ahead, we're going to chat about Jesus filling the role of shepherd and overseer of our souls, and we're going to learn about the gentle side of Jesus Christ and his kindness and his actions. But when it comes to the beginning and end of all time, when it comes to the creator and the final amen of all time, I frankly struggle to abide by that sort of artwork. Here's why. Look again, Revelation chapter 1, now verse 7, going backwards just a bit. John says this, look. He, Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Now, every eye will see him. How's that going to, maybe, is that through satellite television? If he shows up in Jerusalem? Does, does the whole world see him? There are moments when I go, oh, and I get tired of all the way in which all the networks are always covering everything around the world all at once, and I want to go, on the other hand, is it feasible that they're just getting in practice? for the day in which Jesus shows up and the entire world will be able to tune in and see what's going on? What about that? That's a possibility, right? Well, there's even stranger, it's even a little bit more difficult than that because not only it will every eye will see him, but apparently somehow they're going back in time, even those who pierced him. Even the soldiers who put the, 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 the spear in his side 2,000 years ago will see him. All peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And then here we are. We've done all of this prelude of this morning to get to exactly where we said the Alpha and Omega. In the midst of all of that, what does Jesus say? I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. There's the Alpha and Omega. Remember we talked about that a few minutes ago. What does it mean? Well, Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end. We'd, we'd say it in English, from A to Z. I'm going to cover everything from A to Z. And when Jesus says, coming on the clouds, he says, I'm the Alpha and Omega. In other words, what's going on is that anything that has, be said, has been said, all that is said and all that has to be said, all that has been accomplished and all that has yet to be accomplished, it's all in between those two letters that Jesus as the Alpha and Omega is also the, also the Almighty One coming on the clouds of glory someday in the future for all to see. And it's going to be pretty, what he looks like is going to be pretty crazy. John says, verse 16, in Jesus' right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the first and last, the creator, the amen of all time. This beginning and end, this creator and ruler, this alpha and omega, this amen of everything that's ever been done is the one who is coming again, Jesus Christ. And that has implications. Implications for you and me. See, you can say, well, I'm going to choose to forego the work of Jesus Christ. 
And I'd say, fair enough. As a human, we each have that option. I would suggest that it's at your own peril, risk of peril, or you can choose that, or you can choose to say, I'm going to step into this grandest story that has the author of the beginning and the end. I'm going to step into this grandest story that he's creating and writing, the greatest adventure that I could take on. And in doing so, you'd say, I want his saving grace in my life, and I also bow in submission to his work in my life, just like John did. At the very end of the book of Revelation, John says, and gives us the words of Jesus, where Jesus says, come, come. Anyone who's thirsty, let the one who is thirsty come. If you're interested in the things of spirituality, come on, let's go, let's make it happen. Come, and let the one who wishes, if you're up for it, take the free gift of the water of life. Friends, there's a day coming when this first and last, this Alpha and Omega will arrive here on this earth and he's not coming as some meek and mild wimp, hoping that some people might recognize him. No, it'll be a day of reckoning for each human who has ever lived. And that's what we mean when we say he's the Alpha and Omega. It not only speaks to the earliest of time, but it speaks to the very end of time. And, and you go, well, how's this going to work? I'll see if I can give you one more example that might help you understand how Jesus will be the final arbiter, the final one who says, that person right there belongs to me. At the end of all time, what's, at the, what some people call doomsday, at the end of all time, I want to stand before God and I want Jesus Christ to point at me and say, Wayne Kent belongs to me. I want that. I want that for you as well. So, to help you understand a little bit more, I want you to think about a little bit of history this morning. Does this date ring a bell? 1066, almost a thousand years ago. What happened almost a thousand years ago? You go, I don't know, I wasn't there. No, we weren't. But in 1066 was when William the Conqueror began his reign of Britain, of England. And really, from many historians' point of view, it's when the British Empire, as we know it today, started. And some 15 to 20 years into his reign, it became obvious that the Danes, the, da the, the Danish, Danish nation across the English Channel, that their military might was growing and he was concerned that the Danes might invade England. And so he said, okay, so I've been king now for almost 20 years. How much stuff do I own? If I have to sell stuff and, 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 and raise money to raise an army, how much stuff do I own? And so he asked the court in 1085 to begin a survey of all, everything in the land. It took more than a year to complete. It was a survey of all the boroughs and manors in his realm. He wanted to know exactly who owned what, what it was worth, and what taxes, if any, should be coming to the king. He wanted to know what's being rented and what money should be coming my way, and is there anybody out there that could serve in the military. In a book, after all that work was created, it was called the Domesday Book. Domesday, D-O-M-E-S-D-A-Y. It was used up until the late 1800s as the legal and administrative document of, the, of Great Britain because it had who owned what in 1085. All the identities of landowners, the king's principal barons. It listed all the clergy in the nation. It listed who held crown land. It was all written down. 
And historians still use it today, more than a, almost a thousand years later, to say, okay, if we want to know about that portion of England, how the history of that over the last thousand years, they go back to the Domesday Book. Thick book, 913 pages, more than two million words. It listed 13,000 different people in the various titles and what they owned. It became the defining last call of judgment. Somebody goes to court and say, I own that land, and somebody else says, no, I own that land. They would go back to the Domesday book and say, what happened back, where was this in 1085? And that became the defining moment. As a matter of fact, it was so defining and so authoritative and so much the final arbiter that over a period of time, it became known not as the Domesday book, but as the Doomsday book that you can't get away from what this book has to say about who owns what. An English bureaucrat wrote this in 1179, 100 years after the book's publication. And I need you to pay attention to the whole sentence, okay? And the whole, par- the whole statement, what he says. For as the sentence of this strict and terrible last account cannot be evaded by any skillful substitute, subterfuge, meaning ploy, so when this book is appealed to, its sentence cannot be squashed or set aside. So you go, what's going on there? So can back it up and can we see if we can just unpack it? He's saying this book cannot be denied. This doomsday book is the final word. And the way in which he says, here, you want to know how heavy this book is? He, he uses it, the metaphor of Jesus coming back in the doomsday of all time. The amen of all time, he says, for as the sentence of the strict and terrible last account cannot be evaded by any skillful subterfuge. In other words, as the day in which Jesus Christ says, he belongs to me, she doesn't belong to me, whatever the case may be, as that moment cannot be evaded, so the book stands. But my point being, that doomsday book based its based its authority on the fact there's a day coming when all of the whole world will stand before God and everybody will need to say, I belong to Christ, I don't belong to Christ. As the book was the last word for the people of England, so Jesus Christ will have the last word, the Alpha and Omega, the Creator and the Amen about you. Friends, I've chosen to place my eternal destiny. I've chosen to f- place the person who, or the, the, the God who has the final amen on my life. I've chosen to place my eternal destiny in the hands of someone who wrote more than just a book that details the owners of England of 1085. And if you haven't done that yet, straight call up today. Today's the day to get it right. There is a doomsday coming. There is a moment when Jesus Christ as the alpha, the starter, and the end, the omega, will have a say about what happens in your life for eternity. So how have you responded to that? If you haven't figured that out yet, if you haven't said, I'm all in or I'm all out, today's the day to make a choice. Today's the day when you say, I not only want the saving grace of Jesus Christ available for my sins being erased, but I want him to be the leader of my life. The Alpha and Omega wants to step into your life. I've placed my eternal destiny in the author of life, the beginning and the end of all time. The Alpha and Omega, the great amen of all that has ever been. As for me and my house, that's where we will live 
I invite you to do the same thing. Let's pray together. Father, there's a lot of people here today. Got people in three different auditoriums, people watching online and worshiping there. And Lord, it would be our intent for most of us to say that we want Jesus Christ to be in charge of our lives. We want to rely on his saving grace, but we also want him to be the, the leader of our lives. We want both that saving and leading part. We want, uh, we want this creator of the universe to also be the one that has the last amen in our lives. Lord God, I pray, Father, that you would, you would call us all to you in a way that is right, in a way that is true, in a way, God, that... Uh, allows you to be our Savior and leader. Father, deep down within us, within our, the bottom of our psyche, within the bottom of our souls, I guess, Lord, down in our gut, may we hear you calling us to you today through the work of Christ. And God, it's, it's, there's stuff that we don't fully understand how Jesus Christ is fully God and yet there was God in heaven and he was God in the flesh and he was fully God. Uh, there are things, Lord, that our language and our brains can't fully take in. We wonder how there's a double-edged sword coming out of a guy's mouth and how it's all brilliance like the sun like John describes in, in Revelation and it's like, whoa, it's just some of this fantastical. But we rely on you, Lord. We're going to be people of faith today who place our trust in you through Jesus Christ for, the, for having our sins forgiven and then for having leadership through this life and allowing him to be the amen of our lives at that, I guess, terrible day called Doomsday, the day when we want him to be the final arbiter of all that has happened in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Inviting everybody to stand, please, together in all three rooms. If you're watching online, we'd invite you to participate in this as well in the next few minutes. Here in the West and the East and in Lovington as well, there's going to be some folk who'd like to have prayer with you. If you're here today and you say, man, I, I got to get this business with God right. I got to figure out how he's going to be my savior and I want him to be my leader. If you'd like to, frankly, you know what that happens if you make that decision? You know what you get to do? You get to call yourself Christian say, I'm a Christian. If that's you, we'd like you to step forward. If you're here today and say, I've got that figured out, but there's this matter at home, there's this matter at work, my great aunt in California has got this going on, I'd like to pray about that. We'd like to invite you to consider stepping forward with all of us today. So in each three, all three rooms, we'll have leaders who'd be glad to pray with you. While we pray, the congregation is going to worship and proclaim the goodness of God Almighty. We're going to declare that Jesus Christ's name is a saving name is a name that we can call upon. You're invited to come at this time.